0: And now, broadcasting from his floating home somewhere in the Atlantic Ocean, the dream business coach himself, Jim Palmer.
1: Good afternoon, everybody. This is Captain Jim Palmer, the dream business coach, coming to you right now from Hilton Head, South Carolina. But in about a week's time, we'll be moving our floating home down to St. Augustine, Florida. I know you're, you're following us when we're in travel mode, but that's where we are. I'm really excited about this week's guest, Jennifer Peak. Um, She provides clients with key strategic insights while helping them develop plans to execute on their visions profitably. At Peak Advisory Group, she consults with executives and business owners to identify business gaps and opportunities to increase value and prepare them for the next stage of business evolution from growth to varied exit strategies. And that is a topic that I told her I'm really excited about because not enough people are thinking that far down the road. They're always thinking, (laughs) how am I gonna grow my sales tomorrow? Jennifer, (laughs) I know, right? Jennifer has extensive experience in the behind the scenes tactics of startup growth, acquisitions and divestitures, ranging from small companies to billion dollar companies. Wow. She holds a masters of business administration from Rockhurst University and provides expertise as a certified public accountant. A certified valuation analyst, uh, venture investor, business owner, and consultant. She is also, if that's not enough, a commercial real estate investor and has owned two companies. Jennifer currently serves as a board member of ZNRG Inc. and as an advisory board member of two privately held companies. Jennifer, how are you doing today?
2: I'm great. I sound Thanks. really impressive.
1: You do. I mean, I, I, <laughs> there's another paragraph, but I think we've already. Blown no, I you up think quite that's plenty.
2: That's just that's a sign of a of a life well lived, I think, and, and long enough.
1: So. I know, right? You you kind of know when it when, when you get there and so <laughs> we just go with that. So hey, I'm just always curious when I when I talk to entrepreneurs like yourself, did obviously you went to college, you've got a lot of uh education, but what caused you to go into the entrepreneurial route versus just working for someone else? Or I guess you did that for a while, right?
2: I did, I did. I so I worked, I spent the first five years of my um career out of college in the public accounting space. So I got Mm -hmm. to see a whole bunch of different businesses, um, which is one of the things that's great about having a job like that. And then from there, I went to work for a large company. Um, They eventually grew to be a fortune 50 company. And I got to see So many different things there. I mean, one of the great things about working at a large company is that you can really hone in on one area of expertise. Um, The bad thing about working at a large company when you go to start your own thing is um, you don't have an IT department to call, and you don't have somebody to come and fix the printer, and you don't have all of those other answers. You wear all those hats, right? (laughs) You wear all those hats. But one of the big things that was true throughout my corporate career was I got to see a lot of um, acquisitions and divestitures. So Mm. there's always the nuances in there, regardless of how big or how small the transaction is, that are just going to be true no matter what you do. Um, There's just extra zeros on the end. Can
1: you... Can can you tell me what a divestiture is? Is that basically selling a business or
2: or selling a part of a business, oh, right? Okay. So spinning off a division, selling a product line to a different company because you don't want to um, you don't want to service that product line anymore. Like maybe your business vision changes. Mm-hmm. Um, just you know whether that's whether you see something going on in the marketplace or whether it's just you want to go do something new right? And you want to shift and pivot your business a little bit. So, there are opportunities sometimes if you've got a component of your business that you can kind of carve out, that's that's what I mean when I say divestiture.
1: So, is a lot of your experience, Jennifer, helping um, people buy businesses or selling or
2: both? It's both, really. Okay. Um, I would say it's about 50-50, uh, which is, it's, it's interesting because, we, um, my, my group uh, at Peak Advisory, we don't serve as brokers. We're, very, we're independent consultants. Okay. So we can um, do both sides of the transaction without having to specialize. Now, we don't work on both sides of one transaction because there would be an independence issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but in any transaction, we can either perform services for the buyer or the seller.
1: Wonderful. Um, one of the things I'm curious about, I, I, I had some experience in franchising and, and the company that I worked for, the franchisor also bought Submit. So I was, I was kind of familiar with that, with that whole piece, of it, which I thought made great sense, you know, buying an ongoing business instead of starting mm-hmm. from scratch. Um, yeah. But I also got a lot, I just, it was kind of like you probably in the early days, you got to see a lot and figure it out. And You know, I was pretty much working for the owner and and it was amazing to me how when you're selling a business, you want it to appear, and you know, I mean legally and all, you want to appear as profitable as possible, but yet when you're owning and running the business, you want to limit the profit, so therefore you limit your tax exposure. Yeah, absolutely. So they seem kind of diametrically opposed and you know do you could you run a business for 10 years and then all of a sudden switch the way you do your accounting so it appears more profitable than it did for 10 years?
2: <laughs> well, you you can. Um you know, one of the things that's really interesting and, and I think you had a guest who's from St. Louis and I apologize because I can't remember his name. I think his name might be Terry. But I um, the, think he likes to work with companies that if he hopes they come to him. It's innovative business advisors. He hopes they come to him like five years before they're ready to sell versus right. like three months. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the ideal situation so that you can work with business owners, um, and make sure that any decisions that they're making about minimizing their taxes are done so in a way that you can also manage the value of the business. So I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, if, if you have a, a workforce and you um, – are, are con- you want to make sure that you're compensating them well, right? They've, they've been great employees for you and you want to make sure that you're compensating them well. Okay. They're, the value equation, even if the dollars out the door are exactly the same, the value equation, if you have an incentive bonus structure that's tied to revenue or profits, is viewed differently than if you just gave everybody a raise. Huh. That's because if you give everybody a raise, that's a fixed cost. The buyer is going to inherit that. Okay. And, and they're not going to come in and cut everybody's pay. But if you have an incentive bonus structure that's based on the company doing better, then you've got more of a contingent basis for that compensation. And, and you know, if you've got the right employee team, it's also motivating because if the company makes more, they make more.
1: And if that, if that's true, that means your, your payroll, as you call it, as a percentage of sales remains the same.
2: Or, or goes should. down even.
1: Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. That's right. True.
2: So, yeah. So that's an example of if you've got time to plan, those are some of the things that you can do. Um, the, the risk is always that what you don't have is a change in accounting and, and instead you've got your asking the company to be run differently, right? Right. So all of a sudden there's no more snacks in the break room and we're deferring maintenance and, you know, all of, we're not doing any marketing because we can, and some of those things don't matter in you know, one, two or three years, but by the time you get to year four or by the time the seller um, really understands what it takes to run the business from a cost perspective. It can it can be a, a whole different ball game than you know kind of dressing it up for sale.
1: And if the, if the potential purchaser has someone like you on their team and they understand due diligence, they're going to spot some of these things a mile away. Like, what, yeah, right? is this like for, for the last 12 years or 25 years? And all of a sudden for the last three years, you've spent nothing on truck maintenance, right? Exactly.
2: Exactly. You spent nothing on truck maintenance and now I'm going to have to either, I have a whole bunch of deferred maintenance or I'm going to have to buy a whole bunch of new trucks. Um, you know, one of the other things that I think we see a lot is like marketing. Let's use that as an example. If if a company's primary salesperson is the owner and the owner goes away, then the new owner may or may not be able to keep those relationships and may have a need to spend more on marketing. And if the new owner wants to grow the company, they may want to spend more on marketing anyway.
1: Hmm. That's true. What are some of the things that business owners can do to – maximize the value of the business they wanna sell?
2: So the, the, I think there's really a couple of things. Um, one is to make sure that they understand just, you know, what are your results? Where are your profits coming from? So some of the easy things that um, business owners can do from that perspective is to say, okay, we do a hundred different things. Do we really make money on a hundred different things? Or do we make money on fifty things and we just do the other fifty things because we've always done the other fifty things?
1: Right. Or thirty things. Right? Or young. thirty
2: things, right? Or you know, we can say Pareto principle and there's the 80 20 rule. Right. Um, and you know, and you can do you can econ- you can you can be more efficient and more effective by really honing in on what you're offering without impacting negatively the rest of the business, right? It doesn't mean that you're going to have to let some of your people go. It doesn't mean that you're really going to have to change how you're doing anything. What it does is it takes a lot of that noise out and you know, stuff that people don't want to be doing anyway, because it's usually things that are um, just kind of like nails on a chalkboard Right? you're not making any money on it. Randomly, somebody wants you to do it. You don't do it very well. Um, and you just haven't taken the time to kind of go through and call down the list of, of products or services to just focus on the really profitable ones.
1: Right. Um, um, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, you go, please.
2: Well, the other thing that I was going to say is it, it can be a good time to look at you know, fixed costs. So fixed costs are things like rent and utilities and, and those costs that you would incur just to get customer number one in the door, um, and so it can be a really good time to just you know kind of do an audit. Are we paying too much for our electricity? Do we still have that subscription that nobody ever uses to that one software that we had five years ago yeah. <laughs> that we just didn't turn off? Um, so it's just kinda, it's a good time to do some housekeeping on some of those things. Again, it doesn't really impact the business. You can give it a once over, you can just go through your list of vendors and, and make sure you understand, you know, what you're paying for and why. A, a lot of times what you'll see is subscriptions are just a really good example, particularly in the world of software as service. So you've got, you know, 15 employees and they all have a Microsoft Office online account and then you hire five people and they get one and then three other people leave and you never turn their account off. And so now you're paying for three extra subscriptions. So, and there's so many of those types of things that are so convenient for us. So employees can work from home, they can access it from their phones, all of those things. But, you know, it's also very easy to forget that you've got all of these things adding up and some of them you may not be using anymore.
1: So, I mean, I, I have recently done that. And man, there's like, wait, I don't even use that um, CRM anymore. (laughs) Right. It's it's like 50 bucks a month. And it's not like, it's also like, oh my gosh. So it's it's, it's probably like an annual audit at a minimum. I would think of Uh, some of those things. Um, I was on your website, peakadvisory.com. And I just want to make people know it's not P E A K like P her last name is P E E K (laughs) peakadvisory.com. You had an article, um, Funding Your Business, Debt Financing Versus Equity Investments. Can you talk a little about that? Because that's obviously a, a major thing for, for startups and people that are seeking growth.
2: Yeah. Um, so, you know, if you're buying a company, if, let's just talk about that to, to start with. That may be a little bit more straightforward. And and what I mean by that is, you know, if you're buying a company, You've got an immediate need for a a purchase price from the seller. That's probably going to be more than the money you have in your bank account. Mm -hmm. Um, And it may be, and you're going to, and you need all of it at once, right? Because you need to buy the business. You need capital to pay the employees and the rent and the debt payment and all of those things that you're getting right out of the gate. So that the, the small business administration really does a fairly good job um, in that space when it comes to debt financing. And that's, if, if you're buying an existing company, that's probably the first place that you'll look. If you're starting a company, you don't need all of that money at once. Um, so you can get, you know, several investors who are willing to put up you know, $10,000 or $50,000 so that you have some startup seed money. And some investors want equity in the company and some investors don't. Um, they, they want some sort of preferred ownership. I hate to call it ownership, but more of what I'll call preferred debt where you don't have to pay them immediately. They're going to sit there um, for a year or two and then you might pay them dividends over time. Um mm-hmm. The the other time that you see equity financing, not just in a startup situation, is when you have some sort of company that is um, more of a newer industry that may be hard to get traditional financing for because the banks simply don't understand your business model. And that would be the other time that that you would see equity funding. Um, the article really kind of talks about the pros and cons, right? So the, the, the debt pro is that you still keep 100% ownership of the company. Um, you know exactly what the payment's going to be. You don't really have to worry about whether an investor is going to want to leave or, and you're going to have to pay them out or whether you've got a, a ticking clock from an investor perspective. Um, so that's a, a big element of, of debt. And, and also once you pay your loan off, you've paid your loan off you also have some refinancing options um, where you can go to a different bank and refinance your debt or stay with their same bank and refinance your debt. And so you have a much more structured environment with debt. In In the equity side, you're giving up equity, but you have a little bit more wiggle room in negotiating payments or not payments and what the lifespan of the equity is. Um, you know, the, the, and I, this may not apply to, to most of the audience, but you know, in the, tr- in the old private equity world, there was the five-year exit idea, right? So in five years, you gotta be ready to buy everybody out no matter what happens in that business. Um, and you just, you don't have as many options um, in, in terms of some of those exit plays. But the, the, the other thing that's great about equity, um, and I alluded to this a little bit earlier is you can kind of add it as you go, right? You don't have to do it all at one time. You can do tranches of equity. You can have different types of ownership in the equity. Um, some of like you, we could have some investors that don't have any voting rights and you could have some investors that have all of the voting rights. Um, so there's, there's more wiggle room on the equity side in terms of the role that the investors would play.
1: That's really interesting. Um, there's another another article. I swear I spent more time on your website than, <laughs> than most others preparing, but um, you got really good stuff. One of them, and I think I know the answer to this, but I'm going to let you go first. How delegating leads to a higher company valuation. Hmm. Yes, yes, yes,
2: yes. Um, so one of the, I, I made a comment earlier in our interview about, you know, what happens if the owner is the only salesperson, mm-hmm. right? And so delegating, there's there's two things that delegating will do for you. One of them certainly is if you're the owner, um, that it can help minimize the impact on the business that your departure will have. And, and the reason that that's important is because the more critical you are to that business, the more, uh, your departure will create a decline in value. Got it. If my number one salesperson walks out the door, my ability to create revenue as the new owner also sort of walked out the door. So that's that's the that's the clear cut answer. The yeah. the the fuzzier answer is, if if you as the owner are doing a whole bunch of busy work and you're not doing the strategic things in your business, like thinking a year out about what sorts of revenue you need to be seeking, making sure that you maintain those relationships with your customers, making sure that your financials um, are being reviewed and attended to on a timely basis so that you see any pitfalls as they're coming up. You know, we all get busy in our day-to-day just, I got to keep the machine going. Um, The more strategic you can be as a business owner, the more that will add value in the long term.
1: Well, I was pretty close.
2: (laughs) Um, (laughs) Okay. What's your answer?
1: Okay. Well, so Yours is very, yours is excellent. So I'm, not, I'm not going to step on it. But in my book, one of my books uh, called "Decide." I put one of the chapters is "Delegate or Stay Small Forever." So there's the whole you can't do it all. But the other reason, which is more in line with, with what you're meaning, is my, my very elementary way of when you sell a business is you're going to get more if. When you sell the business on Friday and you step away and go to your island or your boat or wherever you're going to go to the beach, and Monday the business keeps running without you, you're going to get a higher value, which I think is closer to what you said.
2: Yeah, absolutely. That's absolutely true.
1: Good. All right. Well, there. See, I'm not so dumb. So <laughs> I bring experts like you on. Um, love the interview. So um, let me ask you, why is due diligence so important in buying a company? Um, and I, this is probably an easy part too, but- and who's the best to do the due diligence? Is it somebody buying the company? Maybe, I guess, if they're buying a similar company, they have a lot of experience in or working with somebody like yourself? Or is it a combination of the two?
2: You know, I, I find that it's a combination of the two. So uh, I'll give you an example of a recent due diligence um, engagement that we completed. Gentleman was buying into a company that he had a lot of experience with the company because he worked for um, the company that he currently works for is a customer of the other company. So he has a lot. They're in the same industry. He has a lot of insight into, you know, what their volume is, what he suspects the other volume is. Um, So he had a lot of that in-depth knowledge, has been doing business with them for years, really knows the management team, you know, all of those great things. Um, But we did a due diligence engagement with him to, it it was twofold. One was to just, you know, is there things that I'm just not seeing because I'm on the operational side and I just want to make sure the financial side stacks up. Um, And then two was, to just validate what he thought, um, and and one of the things that was really interesting about that that goes into also why you would want to do due diligence, regardless of who's performing it, is you know the company was doing really, really well, but one of the things that we could see was that there were cash flow constraints. Um, what they would do is that they would grow. Really good for two years, and then they would have to plateau while they got their cash position back to be able to fund the next round of growth. And there's nothing wrong with that at all, um, unless that's not what you're expecting. Right. So, and, and if you're looking at a company that's had great growth for the last 2 years because that's where you hit it in its cycle and you don't realize that year 3 is going to be a plateau year and you think that that growth pattern is just going to go, you know, into the stratosphere, you need to understand kind of what the trends of the company have been. And and look, when somebody's trying to sell their company, they're telling you the good story, (laughs) right? right? It doesn't mean that they're lying. Um, But, you know, one of the advantages is is that by the time you get to due diligence when you're buying a company, most people have some level of emotional investment in the process at that point. And, you know, having a a neutral third party can be beneficial because, you know, I I said earlier, we don't participate in – We don't operate on a contingency basis. I don't want to say, I don't care whether your transaction closes, but I kind of don't care whether your transaction closes. So you know, my job is to give you advice on what we're seeing and and different ways you can think about it. It doesn't mean it's good, it doesn't mean it's bad. Um, The other big reason to do due diligence, and this is um, why one of the things that I think people overlook, is that it can give you a really solid basis for developing your business plan going forward, you know, really kind of digging into some of those details and not just taking the owner's word for it or the face of the financials. Um, it can really help you understand how you're going to run that business. You know, when you open that door on day one,
1: really good stuff, man, the, the clock dictates all. I've really enjoyed the interview. Jennifer, um, I know I gave it once, Peak Advisory Group. Is that the best way to communicate with you? How do, it how is. do people connect with
2: you? Definitely on our website, peakadvisory.com um, is great. I'm, I can also be found on LinkedIn. So do reach out there. Um, those are the two best ways.
1: Wonderful. And again, folks, it's Peak, P-E-E-K, Advisory. I know kind of the kind of business she's in, you'd think it's Peak Advisory.
2: But <laughs> it's not a
1: clever name. It's her name.
2: So. <laughs> like I know.
1: There you go, Jennifer. Thanks so much. I really appreciate your time today. All right,
2: thank you. You as well.
1: Hey, folks, that wraps up this special interview with Jennifer Peak at peakadvisory.com. As we're doing this interview, we're a few weeks away from uh, my next event, Dream Business Academy in Orlando. Uh, the website is dreambusinessacademy.com. Dreambusinessacademy.com. That is it until next week. Another fantastic interview. I am Captain Jim Palmer, the Dream Business Coach, and you take good care.